Hey, Voices of a Killer fans, Toby here to talk about an exciting podcast that you might like. If our journey into the minds behind the bars has captivated you, then you'll find Prison Pod equally gripping. It's a podcast that delves deep into the lives affected by incarceration, offering firsthand stories from those on both sides of the cell. Available on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon, Prison Pod broadens the conversation around the impacts of jail and prison. Search for Prison Pod wherever you get your podcasts to listen to the real stories of those living a life defined by bars. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Before we begin this podcast, please be advised that the following episode contains language that some listeners may find offensive and inappropriate. The opinions expressed by the host and guests are their own and do not reflect the views of the podcast producers. Listener discretion is advised. How'd you kill him? Like I said, I did what I did. And God has forgiven me. I'm still doing time in prison. That's justice. Why do you strangle? Why that method? You know, I, I wouldn't even try to kill the man. I just want to whoop his butt real bad. How many people, victims, do you admit to killing? Two. They're not trying to pin one more on you. There's like four or five more. I can't never get back alive. No matter how bad I want to right now, I can't get back alive. I can't, I, if I break somebody, I can go back and say, I'm sorry. If I rob somebody, I'm sorry. If I took somebody's life, ain't nothing like to do that back. Ray, do you feel like you're a bad person? I think I'm at wherever God wants me to be. You are now listening to the podcast, Voices of a Killer. I'm bringing you the stories from the perspective of the people that have taken the life of another human and their current situation thereafter in prison. You will see that although these are the folks that we have been programmed to hate, they all have something in common. They are all humans like us that admit that they made a mistake. Will you forgive them or will you condemn them? They are currently serving time for their murders and they give us an inside glimpse of what took place when they killed and their feelings on the matter now. Here are the voices of those who have killed. 
On this episode of Voices of a Killer, we are going to examine the case of our first serial killer. Clifton Ray Jr. is a serial killer who committed at least three murders on the streets of Kansas City, Missouri between 1987 and 1994, and is suspected of six other murders. Ray was convicted of the strangling of his neighbor in 1995, but thanks to advances in DNA technology, he was later linked to two other murders. He is currently serving a life sentence for these convictions in the Missouri State Correction System without the chance of parole. Despite being convicted of three of his killings, Ray still claims innocence on one of them, something that we will discuss in this episode. So sit back and listen closely. Join us as we delve into the mind of an American serial killer, Clifton Ray. So let me ask you a question, Ray. Where did you grow up? Kansas City. Your first name's Clifton, right? Yeah. Most people call me Brother Ray. Okay. Would you describe your childhood as kind of rough or, or or what? You know something? That's why I tell people, man, you know my background. You're going to kick me dead in my butt ass. What the hell am I in prison for? You know, no, I was, it, was, it wasn't rough. It wasn't rough, wasn't rough at all, man. My mom and dad, my dad just died about six years ago. Him and my mom married about 56 years. I can count divorce on my mom and dad's side on one hand. And they don't just get married and stay together until somebody dies. Do you have support on the outside, Ray? Do you have family that's in contact with you? Well, most of the people are dead, man. I mean, like I said, locked up. People that uh, will support me is, is dead. Matter of fact, I, 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 I pray for you, Lord, give me a chance to be able to call a couple of people that I did wrong, my, my son's mother. And, uh, as a matter of fact, her birthday is 31st of January. Like two or three weeks ago, I called her, we talked. Talk to each other. I apologize to her. She had no hard feelings. So the next couple of days later, I'm going to call back. So I didn't ask if she get a card. I had the right address. So I called. The guy answered the phone, which he's saying that. He said, yeah, she got the card. She appreciated it. He said, I got some bad news. Well, here, she died yesterday. So I called her one day. I got a chance to talk to her. The next day, she died. Wow. No, I'm not going to take okay. it. I've been locked up too long. I've been locked up almost 30 years. You know, yeah. I almost, almost 18 years ago, I was going to go home. Man, that's crazy, bro. And they tried many cold cases, so. I want to read to you what it says on the internet. Have you ever heard what it says about you? I heard all kind of crazy. Well, let, I don't know if you're familiar with Wikipedia, but it's like if you type in somebody's name and you got your own Wikipedia page, that means you're kind of important. Well, they're literally calling you an American serial killer responsible for at least three murders. Okay. It says uh, Clifton Lee Ray, born in 1958, is an American serial killer responsible for at least three murders in Kansas City, Missouri between 1987 and 1992 and is suspected in six other murders. Ray was convicted of murdering his neighbor in 1995 and was soon going to be eligible for parole until DNA profiling exposed his responsibility in the murders of Deborah Taylor and Josie Flowers. In October 2007, Ray was convicted of both murders and was sentenced to life imprisonment. So, Here's what it says underneath your name. It says victims three to nine plus. So it says more than nine now. What'd that mean? I mean, I don't know. Nine plus. It means that's a lot of fucking murders, man. And like two of them you admit yeah. to. I mean But you said he said three you said three to nine plus. What does that plus mean? More than nine? It means there's other people that they don't maybe not suspect you of, but they're they're they I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> I ain't never heard that one. That's a good one. That's I mean, that's the first time I heard that. Three yeah. to nine plus. Now, you might be thinking Ray is unfamiliar with technology due to his age. Although being 64 at the time of recording, Ray has spent the last 28 years in prison, 
which means his interaction with the outside world has been sparse, especially considering his lack of family connections. He's also right in saying that he was about to be released 18 years ago. Ray's first conviction was for second-degree murder of his neighbor in 1994, and he was about to be paroled in 2004. However, DNA linking him to the murders of Deborah Taylor in 1987 and Josie Flowers in 1990 emerged in 2007 meant that he was charged with first-degree murder for these two cold cases and later sentenced to life imprisonment. Now, the timeline here is a little confusing, so we will do our best to explain it. According to Ray's Wikipedia page, he is suspected of up to six other murders, possibly more. There is doubt that hangs over how many victims he had. However, we do know of three of these victims. The first murder we will look at is the one that got him convicted. The murder itself occurred in 1994, and he was sentenced in 1995. I'll let Ray do the talking from here. Who'd you kill the first time? The case that got me arrested was uh, where I stayed as a man got killed. Got into it, and uh, he got killed. How'd you kill him? Well, he was beaten, choking, stomped. We had a, a fight. So the first guy that you actually got in a physical fight with him and beat him and choked him is what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Was it over drugs? Yeah. No, it wasn't over no it wasn't over drugs, but I was on drugs. I don't even think the guy got high. It was a guy where I lived in an apartment building, he lived across from me. down next to me and I thought he was doing stuff to my door. I thought he was a racist guy, putting trash in my house and, and one day I seen him and he's like he seen me like he went in the door right quick when I got to my door and seen trash. So I figured he beat it. I don't know if he did it or didn't. I really don't. But I figured he the one that did it. So I just kicked in the door, and that's when all everything started. Wow. So did you feel like uh, that felt good to you to do that at the time? I know you're different now, but at the time, did you feel like that felt good to kill I don't, somebody? You know, I, I wouldn't even try to kill the man. I didn't want to whoop his butt real bad. Right. You know, I wouldn't. Man, I'm going to kill him. I was just, I didn't have nothing. I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm numb. I'm on drugs. I'm, I didn't have no feeling like I desired to go kill people. That it ain't. Like, I just feel like I'm going to get you for so, what you did. Right. So basically kind of like a vindiction type thing. This stuff been going on for a minute, you know, and I figured if I ever catch who did this, I'm going to do something to him. And, and I'm thinking, well, I got him now. He might not even be in here. He just might have seen me and see my crazy look on my face and probably ran in this door. After I thought about it, I said, my man probably didn't even do nothing to me. So after you killed him, you just went back over to your house and kind of hid out? I left. I left and came back maybe a couple hours later. I didn't know he was dead. And I know I knocked her out. He was still. I left. I was drunk and high. And came a couple hours later. The detectives there said they want to talk to me. I said about what? And they, you know they had the crime team because his neighbor got killed. I said, well, I don't know about this. Anyway, I got arrested that night, and a few months later, I pleaded guilty to it. And I take second degree murder. They give me twenty years. I just go ahead and take it. Yeah. The details of that fateful night are pretty fuzzy for Ray. Yes, this was almost twenty years ago, but he didn't plan to kill him. But in the heat of the moment, it happened. It's clear that drugs played a part in Ray's life before prison. Having seen the effect of drugs on other people who end up in jail, I was wondering, was he more impulsive and prone to violence? Did the drugs make him feel invincible and give him a false sense of power? Perhaps delving into his relationship with drugs would give us a better idea of why he killed. Right. So, Ray, did you get into drugs at one point? Yeah, that's why I'm in prison. Right. I hate drugs. I hate it with a passion. Yeah, but that's why so I got the drugs, alcohol, and all that stuff. 
if you would have never done drugs, you wouldn't be in prison. Would that be pretty accurate? I have a better chance not being in prison. Yeah. When did you start doing drugs, Ray? Well, you know, what you mean by drugs? Weed and stuff like, you know how we in high school, you smoking weed. Well, I mean, did you do anything hard like meth or cocaine or anything like that? I didn't do cocaine until I like, the year that, 84 was the first time I did some cocaine. No, 85, matter of fact. They had the Olympics in uh, L.A. The next year I did the first time I did some cocaine. Gotcha. So were you an alcoholic, though? Yeah, I was drunk. Definitely alcoholic. Yeah, do you feel like when you drink, that's when you committed the crimes? No, I can be a happy drink. I can be a mean drunk. But most of the time, when I really started doing crack when I was on that crack, on cocaine. My question to you is, is there's a lot of people out there that do drugs and smoke crack and stuff, but they don't kill. Why are you like that? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I wish. I, I knew why, why the anger... Made me kill. I don't. I don't. You know. I don't know. I just can't answer that question. You know. You don't know. One. I mean, it's crazy because you know, one day the man's talking, and you know, you talk to some people that you might know, and next thing you know, they didn't walk in through and kill twenty people, but they didn't have that in them. I believe in demons and devils and stuff like that. I believe they can. I don't know. Well, you know that most people out there in the real world, outside of prison, probably think you may be a demon or a devil. How does that make you feel? You know something, uh, I'm, if they would come back and have me on broadcast me on TV right now and say, and exonerate me on everything, it's still going to be people say, I'm a devil and a demon. Okay, how good a person can get. The, Jesus Christ, they praise him one day, one week, the next week the same people say crucify him. People will think about you good or bad regardless. Some people you talk to might think you were a nice guy. Some people might think that you were snake. Okay. Do that bother you? You keep on doing what you're doing, right? Because right. you think you're doing the right thing. You know, it's, it's best you say you ain't hurt nobody. You're trying to help somebody. You're trying to find out. Basically, you're doing, you're doing human. I can't pronounce that word that I'm doing. I'm pulling out. You're trying to pull it out. Okay, what makes you do this? Why did you do that? People going to say this and say that. That's what I can't, you know, I can't help what people think. After the break. Ray talks about the murder of Deborah Taylor in 1987. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So when was your first murder that you committed, Ray? That was uh, 1987. Who'd you kill the first time? Deborah Taylor. That murder, we was out there getting high, me and about four other guys, this girl. She was sucking dick, and we just partied out. It was nice outside. We out there just kicking it. People was leaving off, and maybe me and another guy left her. She wants more dope. And uh, I could suck a dick. She said, well, I already did. So you got to do it again. So she started, and she jumped right up and said, you got to give me some double. I ain't give you nothing until you get through. Then she grabbed my dick and started squeezing. I mean, she didn't want to let go, so I just started squeezing her neck. The other guy was laughing, and I'm trying to squeeze until she let go, and so her hand went limp. And she was dead. The guy ran off. I left ran off, too. Once you started yeah. strangling her, obviously she had to let go once you started strangling her. Why did you not stop? Why did you kill her? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe with some drugs. I did after it seemed like a, I was in a trance or whatever. She let go. I just kept on and then I let go and she fell. How long did you strangle her for? I can't remember. I really can't. It was that happened back in nineteen eighty seven. I guess five two or three minutes. Two, three, four, five minutes. I don't know. I know I was sore down there. I was sore down there for about a week. Her squeezing and me squeezing. I remember that much. So, Ray, I mean, it is kind of like fascinating that strangling somebody, you have so much time to just let go because it really takes minutes. I mean, like, what goes through your head when you're holding on to their throat? You know, and just to be honest with you, I know you don't have to probably think I'm doing crap. But when you're on drugs and alcohol, a lot of stuff, man, you don't think. You know what I mean? You don't think. Yeah. If I did, I would have did it, you know? Yeah, Ray, do you think that everybody has it in them to do something like that? Or you think there's people that just can't do that kind of thing? To be honest with you, I think in any situation, a person tells you to do anything in any given situation. Yeah. You probably met some people that's nice as people in the world, but give them a drink. You won't be around them. So you don't know why you you have like this propensity to kill people? Uh, the last time I committed a crime was 1994. That was almost 30 years ago. And I ain't been on the street either. I've been, I've been in, in, in prison. You know, I wouldn't take them, but I'm going to give them a kill this person, kill that person. It, it, don't, it didn't happen like that. It didn't come close to happen like that. Sharing the harrowing details of Deborah Taylor's murder, it's hard to find motivation behind Ray's killings so far. Like his neighbor, she too was strangled, and we can see that there is a pattern emerging. Drugs are involved, and Ray finds himself in a violent scenario, which he then flees. Unfortunately for Ray, his DNA was found at the scene, and he was charged with Taylor's murder in 2007. It added even more time to his already lengthy prison sentence, and at 28 years behind bars, he's had a lot of time to think about his murders. Being in the prison system for that long, he must have seen a lot. So I wanted to know what his perspective on being incarcerated was like. I was surprised by his nickname amongst inmates, Brother Ray. This is due to his involvement in Bible study groups and ministering to other prisoners. Now, you might be wondering why this is relevant to our discussion of a serial killer. It got me thinking, 
Has Ray's newfound passion for faith had any impact on his moral compass? How can he justify his actions? And does he think that his God really forgives him? I bet you've seen a lot being in prison for that long. I'm going to take you back real quick. When I got locked today, you familiar with Kansas City at all? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. In Kansas City back then, they had they didn't have a new county jail that you got. Well, they had the county new jail. But, but what they did, you get arrested, take you to the city jail, you get arrested in Jackson County, Kansas City, in Kansas City area. Inside the jails, on the other side, where you can look out, you can put your hand and shake that man's hand on the other side. They had drunks and drunk tanks, and right across there they had with people just selling things. Yeah. So he put me to sell by myself, man, and I got down there, and I just prayed, man, for real. I just said, I'm, I'm through. I ain't doing this no more. I'm tired of drugs. I'm not. They call me problems. I hurt people. I don't want to do this no more. So that's April 94, the last time I got high. How would you describe prison? You know, I had, we had people come in here to say, man, y'all, some of y'all guys are freer here than we are on the outside because they're in their own little prison. When I was an alcoholic and I was a drunk, I was a dope fiend on the street. I was in prison, but I didn't know it. But you talking about this physical prison I'm in right now. It could be, I've been in about seven, eight different prisons. I was in prison. I'm level five now. I've been to a level one prison while working outside the gates every day. Even though I had a crime, there was a murder charge. My, the, the warden didn't care. I was working for the warden. If they ain't going nowhere, that means we're going home about four months. Yeah. I don't want to get to the point, you know, I got all this time. This God, unless God opens up the door and let me out of here, you know, one of these days, man, I'm going to be in prison. I don't want to be to the point where I'm laid up in a chair. Somebody has to wipe my butt and feed me and push me around. I don't want to be that way. I'd rather just be running around the track and just fall down dead, you know, seriously. I don't want to be a burden on nobody. I don't want to just go out miserable like that. Yeah. So, I'm grateful that at 64, I still got a little health left. I can do stuff for myself. My eyesight getting bad and my hearing is getting bad, but that's life. Well, I, I won't be no young man in a casket, that's for sure. Right, right. So when did you start getting into Bible studies in there? I was basically brought up in church. I got old enough to want to do what I wanted to do. So I was raised. My mom made us go to church when we were little kids. But I started, the day I got arrested, I said, I'm turning my life, I'm through. I was through with everything. And I just started getting back into the guy. I was crying. The guy, I wasn't raised this way. What am I doing? And uh, that's the last time I did best of drugs. And I just started trying to live right, man. And so I've been in the Word of God, trying to get into the Word of God since I've been locked up. And uh, this opportunity came, and I just wrote him, the opportunity they'll pay, that you go to this Bible university. You know, if you look up my name, they won't say inmate. Probably say they said it would say a uh, student. I'm going to the university, and well, what is the university? They want to try. To, what they trying to do is change the culture of the prison system. How's that? So they giving people. So you go in there, you going in there and getting learning more about the word of God. And they ain't just got Christians in here. They got Muslims and all kinds of different people in there. So you learn more about the word of God academically. That way you can go out and not only in the street but in the prison and help. You know, talk to people that getting high, talk to people that own drugs, talk to people that's that's gang banging, talk to people that's that's racism, white and black on both sides, and just you know, show them not to live that way no more. Helping people try to change. Right. So my question to you, Ray, is you know you've gotten heavy into Bible studies and all that, so you learn about a lot of stuff about how Christianity works. Do you think that God forgives you about what you did? I think God has has forgiven me. Things I did, I sincerely, I sincerely uh, regret it, and I know uh, drugs 
you know, I was using drugs and alcohol, but it wasn't all that made me do it. It was something that didn't mean that drugs and alcohol just brought it out. You know, I think it was, and I believe it was. And I think he had forgiven reason. I'm saying that God even says, you know, he'll forgive you if you truly repent and turn from your, your sins and try to follow me, regardless of what you didn't did. You know, you ever heard of the son of Sam? Yeah. Remember him? You yeah. know what he's doing right now? What's up? He's up in New York in, in, in Attica. He's been, he been ministering the word of God for years. And some preachers heard about it. They said, what? And they said they went up there to talk to him. And, he, and they came back after to talk to this man a little, a little while. I just one day, you know, spent some time talking to him. They came back and said, he's the real deal. He's to turn his life around. So some of the people that he ministered to, they get out of prison. They ain't going to remember him as a serial killer. They can remember him as a man that turned them on, that helped them turn their life around to try to serve the Lord and do the right thing and live the rest of their life respectfully. Does it make sense what I'm saying? For those who may not be familiar, the son of Sam Killer, whose real name is David Berkowitz, is an infamous serial killer who terrorized New York City in the 1970s. The name Son of Sam comes from the way he signed off letters that he left at the crime scenes of his victims. Berkowitz was arrested in 1977 and is currently serving six consecutive life sentences. But what caught my attention was the fact that both Ray and Berkowitz had turned to religion and were ministering to fellow inmates. It was an interesting parallel between the two as they had both committed heinous crimes and then sought redemption behind bars with little hope of seeing the outside world. In fact, it's highly likely that both men will spend the rest of their days incarcerated. Now, as an atheist, I don't believe in redemption the same way that Ray does, and given the brutality of his crimes, it's difficult to understand Ray's stance on faith and morality. I wanted him to know about my relationship with religion so that we could maintain transparency between us. And to better understand his motivation for killing, I was curious to know if Ray thought he would go to hell for what he had done. So you don't think that God's going to send you to hell? I really don't think so. I really don't. He said even all liars go to hell and they just want to continue to lie. You don't have to be be to harm somebody. You know, all you have to do is if, if you just say, I don't believe that stuff, man, that stuff is a bunch of crap. But my belief is just, you could be a good preacher who never heard nobody, matter of fact, give money to charities and all that stuff and help go work in hospitals and do everything you can to help people. I don't believe that crap, though. That right there, I believe, will take you to hell right there, and I believe in the Son of God. So would you believe it if I told you I, I don't believe in God? Well, see, you ain't the only one. You ain't the only one. This is all people. Uh, I, I just I understand that. Yeah, I understand it, that. And, and the, you might, and, and by you saying that, don't make me feel no way different about you. Does that make sense? Sure. I mean, I just I, I'm asking these questions, but not because I'm a Christian. It's it's I I just don't believe in the ideology. I just uh, I'm just not a believer. I understand that what you're saying right there. I admit people don't believe, and that's not who. And that's not me for me to judge. You know. After the break, Ray talks about the murder of Joycey Flowers in 1990. So what happened with Josie? How did you kill her? This one happened in 1990. That case right there, I had sex with that woman, man, but I got convicted. I just said that I got convicted of that murder. You did get convicted of it, but you're saying you didn't do it? I got convicted of it in 2007. That murder man... That, You've already been found guilty of it, right? 
I got to appeal on, on that one. Everything I plead guilty to, I had no problem talking about. Sure, sure. Well, my question is, is you just was around her. That's why your DNA was on her. Was she choked? She was found in the field. It said she was strangled to death. She was naked. She had some socks on. They said she wasn't dragged. She said she died when she had sex at. They said she had volunteer sex. I don't know. I don't know how they know all this stuff. They said that, that sex came after a time of death. That way they said that how they put my... They didn't see no... See, it was something... The DNA is very sensitive. They didn't see no gloves or nothing hanging around in the mouth or that like that. When they're doing the swab, they found traces of my DNA in the vagina. They said they found traces of my DNA in her mouth. What the deal was, in 1990, I was downtown about the Union Mission. I met two detectives pulled up. They said they didn't talk to me. So they came and said, you want to talk to you? I said, for about what? They said a girl was raped. They said they showed her my ID, the pictures, and she picked mine out. They want to take me downtown and put me in the lineup. I said, bet, because I know I ain't did nothing. I know I ain't. So I go downtown, and they put me in the lineup. But whoever that person was didn't take me to pick somebody else. That's the last I heard of that. So I'm going to leave. They said, hey, we need to talk to you about something else. I said, what? So they took me down there and asked me about a person found dead in a field. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, do you hear my name? you hear my name? Somebody found my dead in the field. I said, no, I don't know about that. So they didn't show me no picture, nothing else. They said, well, if some people said they see you talking to this person that was found dead in the field, I said, they probably see me talking to a lot of people. I don't want no field. I said, wherever the field is, I don't know nothing about it. I ain't never been there. They said, well, we need to get some hair samples from you. I said, go get a search warrant. You get all the hair samples you want, but I'm not giving you nothing voluntarily. That's what I told them. So they said, okay, you want to play it that way? I said, man, look here, because y'all had me down town for something about a, a girl got raped. Your girl didn't pick me out. Now y'all trying to put a murder on me. I said, I'm not going for that, man. Y'all want to cooperate with me? Go get some search warrant. They came back with a search warrant. I said, bet. They know where you want the hair from. They took some from my head. They took a whole bunch from my pubic hair. And that was it. They put me back upstairs in, in the holding cell. About 16, 17 hours later, they came and said, you can go. I said, what's the problem? They said, well, yeah, I kind of found a lady. None of that hair, nothing at the scene at all matched me. Nothing. Okay, so 20, 25, 30 years later, whatever, I was going to get out of prison. Two detectives came down from Kansas City. I was over here in Jeff City, where I'm at right now. They said, you talk to me about the murders. I said, what are you talking about? So they showed me some pictures. One of the pictures was the, the girl that I said guilty to. And the other one was this flower girl that happened in 1990. This picture they showed me of her, they showed me of a woman that's laying down outside naked in a field. They said she was dead. Okay, that's what they showed me. And they said, first court they had, you ever see the woman look like that? I said, no. And that was it. I shouldn't have said nothing. But so was what they took me down to jail for. So Ray was shown pictures of both Deborah Taylor and Joycey Flowers side by side. Detectives were trying to demonstrate a pattern of killing a pattern that Ray had denied up to that point. Now, whilst Ray confessed to the murder of Taylor, he refused to admit to killing Flowers. However, DNA was found at the crime scene that linked Ray to the murders. Although DNA testing was not widely available in the 80s and 90s, crime scene investigators still collected DNA evidence with the hope that technology would improve. As it did improve, DNA testing became more common and played a vital role in solving many cold cases, including the murder of Joycey Flowers. Ray was subsequently put on trial, and the DNA evidence became a key point of the prosecutor's argument, something which Ray contests to this day. When I went to trial, they said they found my DNA, they had traces of my DNA in the mouth, and they had traces of my DNA in the vagina. They said when whoever had sex with it, the time 
death, it must have been real hard because she, the blood came out of her vagina at the same time the person came. So during the trial, they had these three or four experts saying this and said that. So this was the first trial. They had two trials. The first one got me a hung jury. So I asked my lawyer, I said, Look, man, I said, ask me with my DNA in that blood because they ain't mentioned nothing. My DNA had to be in that blood if I had sex with like they say I did. and came in it and she died. I killed her. They asked the expert, hey, did you find raised DNA in the, in the hair sample you found? No. You see, if you find DNA in the cups or anything else you found, cigarette butts? No. But we didn't have his DNA inside this person. But we had some people that could get up there at the same time. He's a doctor. He said, we got some things here saying that a person that got somebody coming in the mouth, this alive after drinking, gargling, eating, and then all this other stuff, brushing teeth and everything else, they come back six hours and still find crazy DNA in the mouth. And the same dude that was down, the doctor said, well, it could have been 12 hours. So that's the case I didn't plead guilty to. Really, all they had was your DNA on this third person, nothing else? The hair didn't belong to me. Cigarette butts that had stuff on them belonged to me. Cups and stuff that had DNA didn't belong to me. The only DNA they found in me was in that person. Well, let me ask you a question. These people that they are claiming that you killed and they found your DNA on them, were they strangled? Yeah. And typically that's the way you've killed before, is strangling, right? Well, one of them was a strangle, one was beaten and whatever, but the cause of death was mass common strangulation. How many people, victims, do you admit to killing? Two. So this third one, you actually claim your innocence on this one? They offered me 25 years I plead guilty to that case. And I wouldn't do it because I didn't do it. I'm not doing it. Can I say something real quick? Yeah. Real quick. Okay. That same prosecutor that I'm talking about, about two years later, three white guys, they got out of prison because of him because they found out he lied and he had cases that had people lying on cases for him. They got out of prison. Jackson County, the county of men, they turned around and fired this prosecutor. His name is Dan Christian Miller. They fired him for doing cases like that. For Lionel case, they were tired of him, so they fired him. Miller turned around and sued Jackson County for firing him. Jackson County turned around and said, here's $70,000. We'll settle out of court and leave. He took the $70,000 he left. His boss that was over him, the main prosecutor, about a year later, he quit the prosecutor's office and went somewhere else in Jackson County. He got caught stealing embezzling money. They locked him up in prison. Mike Sanders, they locked him up in prison, took his law license away from him. Dan Miller, they gave that man, like I say, $70,000 they leave. Why? Because he know everything they did. Why would you give somebody some money after you get caught them cheating red-handed? You fire him, and they're going to sue you, and you're going to pay him to leave? That don't make sense. Well, let me ask you a question. Is it possible that you were so high that you just didn't think you did it, but maybe you did? I'm going to say it this way. Anything's possible. They said I had... Probably seven, eight more murders. You say they said. My thing is, okay, if you believe everything come out of people's mouth, but I feel for you. If they did all that, why would you just charge me for it? They know I ain't got no money. I can't fight it. You can say no all day long. As Ray describes this tragic case, it might be difficult to understand why he proclaims his innocence. The story that Ray refers to regarding the prosecution lawyer and judge actually holds truth. The prosecution lawyer at Ray's trial, Dan Miller, made headlines for withholding evidence in a 2004 case that resulted in a 22-year sentence for Matthew Davis, who had pleaded guilty to abandoning the body of his girlfriend after she had died of a drug overdose. Jackson County Judge Edith Messina threw out Davis's guilty plea in 2009, 
saying that Miller had deliberately and fraudulently misled the court and defense counsel by withholding hundreds of pages of evidence. Miller was later reprimanded by a Jackson County judge and sued the county for discrimination. The county paid him $70,000 to drop his lawsuits. The judge of Ray's trial, Michael Sanders, was caught stealing campaign contributions between January 2007 and December of 2015. Sanders was sentenced in 2018 to 27 months in prison, followed by three years of supervised release, and was ordered to pay $40,000 in forfeiture. Now, from a personal perspective, I know that corruption can and does happen in the justice system, but whether it influenced this particular case is up for debate. So here's what I'll tell you, Ray. Like, I have no doubt that cops can, like, try to pin stuff on somebody whenever it's not true. But whenever you've killed two people and, you know, they're they're tying you to these other ones and there's, like, not just one more, but there's, like, four or five more, you think that possibly since you've killed two people that, yeah, maybe one or two of these were you, but not all of them. Because they may lie about some of them, but not all of them. You know what I mean? You know, I had a buddy, I ain't gonna mention his name. They had him charged with like 16 murders. Super serial killer. They took him to court. They dropped eight of them charges and convicted him to rest. So I asked him, I said, what was the difference between the charges they convicted you on and the ones let you go? He said, there wasn't no difference in them. It's all the exact same thing. So what? my thing is, why would they drop any of them? They're gonna got you anyway. Why would they even drop any of them? One life sentence is the same thing as two life sentences. I want to explain to you why I can actually partly believe you. Back in 2003, I was robbed and shot outside of New Orleans. I did not know who shot me in the chest. And I almost died. I went to the police station. They showed me a lineup of six black men. I looked at the lineup and I said, I don't remember who shot me. They pointed to the paper and they said, just pick one. I said, I can't do that. They pointed to the paper again. They said, just pick one. So I understand that a lot of times the police and all that will just push to get something done. But when you've killed two people and there's DNA involved in the rest of them, I, I could believe that maybe not all of them were pinned to you, but it's really hard for me to believe that like at least one or two more, like, you know what I mean? But I do understand you partly because my firsthand experience in watching cops just trying to pin something on a black guy. So I get it. I get it. But, you have to understand that they're not trying to pin one more on you. There's like four or five more. I mean, you can't say that at least one more was yours. Are you asking a question? Yeah. Man, what? You, you, I keep I keep hearing you saying all these cases, but I don't even know what case you're talking about. I heard people say it before. Right? They said they suspected. Suspect what? What did they suspect? Well, that's exactly the wording is like when you look it up, it says suspected of several yeah. more killings. So it's like, man, that's... Yeah. I mean, you've already killed two people and you admit to it. So when there's like three or four more that you're suspected of, I could believe that some of those may be fudged, but like. He's probably saying some of these people were strangled in like manner. That's what he probably means. Probably got strangled in like manner. That's what I'm getting from that. Because if my DNA was anywhere near any of them, you know, good and well, they would have me on TV. You know that. On one hand, Ray has a point. He has already been convicted of all three murders and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. He has no money to fight any additional charges brought against him, and it would be easy for the justice system to pile on more accusations and convictions. On the other hand, there is a clear pattern in the three murders he was convicted of. Although the other suspected cases are not public knowledge, 
Ray's admission to the two of the three murders makes it hard to ignore the evidence and not see him as a serial killer. The justice system isn't always fair, and Ray could very well be a victim of its flaws. But it's up to the listener to decide where they stand on this case. One thing is for sure, though, Ray's fate of spending his last days behind bars is already sealed. He won't be walking out of prison a free man. I wondered if Ray felt like he had missed the opportunity to be out on parole due to the cold cases catching up with him, or perhaps whether he felt like he deserved worse, the death penalty. What do you think about the death penalty, Ray? This is what I think. Some people say they're pro-life. You know what I mean? They say they don't believe in abortion. This and that, right? Most of the people say they're pro-life. It's not pro-life. They're anti-abortion. Pro-life means from cradle to grave. So I'm like, if you want to put me in the category, I'm putting the category as pro-life, even though I took a life. At that time, I didn't know what I believed, but I know now I don't, I don't believe in abortion, and I don't believe in capital murder. That's what pro-life really is. What if somebody is responsible for killing hundreds or even thousands of people? You think that we should spare their life? They've been doing it, but I'm just saying I took something that only God should be able to take. You know what I mean? Okay, I'm saying right now. Putin, I'm using for example. I think Putin's crap. I think he's got Satan in him. And I think if I had to raise my hand with him and death, my hand wouldn't go up. I believe that what is wrong, but I also believe that. And somehow, some way, he'll redeem himself and really, really, really redeem himself. I believe that Christ will accept him into his home. Do you think you should be out of prison right now? This is what I think. I think I'm at wherever God wants me to be. I'm, I'm being honest with you. Ain't trying to be funny. I would love to be out. I would love to be out. But I think I'm at where God exactly wants me to be. If God wants me to pay for what I did and be paying for what I did and be in prison, as long as he allowed me to minister his word and help other people not to come back to prison and he helped me to, to do the right thing, I'm okay with that. Once again, Ray's faith is something that has been a common theme throughout this interview. Given the finality of his situation, his strength of conviction is something that keeps him going behind bars. As we wrapped up our conversation, I had one final thought. Despite what Wikipedia or any other internet resource might say, I wanted to get Ray's final views on what had been done. What would history make of him? Was he truly remorseful for what he had done? And given the opportunity, what would he say to his victims in the afterlife? Ray, do you feel like you're a bad person? Yeah, I, I feel I ain't nobody good but God. I don't feel like... I feel that I ain't the person I was that committed them crimes. But am I a good person? No, I, I can never give back what I took. Never. Okay, how long would it take? If I, just did, if I just hurt somebody, I can go back and apologize. No, I can never apologize enough to these people or their family. And do I feel bad? I did. Yeah, I really, believe it or not, I really do feel bad. I, I did. If I just had a chance to do it over again, I don't think it would ever happen. You know, because nobody deserves it because somebody takes their life from them. Nobody deserves that. I got a serious question for you, Ray. If you died today, what would they say in your eulogy? They'll say, mention my name, mention my birth. They mention I was a drunk. They mention I was a dope fiend. They mention I wasn't the father I should have been. I didn't do the right things I should have did. They mention I committed murders. Then I got convicted of three of them. They'll mention I went to prison. And they'll mention the last 29, 30 years of his life, he turned his life over to God. He tried to help people that so well won't come back to prison. He ministered to people. He tried to do the next right thing. He tried to uh, encourage his 
people on the, he can't he can't on the street through the phone. And he lived the rest of his life thanking God for sparing his life, although he didn't took a life. And that's it. Like I said, I did what I did, and God has forgiven me. I'm still doing time in prison. That's justice. I can't never give back what I take, Toby. I can't never give back a life, no matter how bad I want to right now. I can't give back a life. I can't, I, if I rape somebody, I can go back and say, I'm sorry. If I rob somebody, I can say, I'm sorry. If I took somebody's life, ain't nothing I can do to give that back. Let me ask you a question. You pass away, you go to heaven, and you see two of your victims in heaven. What do you talk to them about? I'd be so glad to see him in heaven. I'm sorry, and I'm glad you're here. I'm so sorry, and I'm glad you're in heaven. I'm sorry you miss your family. I'm sorry that I took things away from you, and I'm so glad you're in heaven. I wouldn't be talking nothing sad. I'd be so happy to stay in heaven. I wouldn't know what to do. I'd just be so sad stay in heaven. And I'm sorry that I was going to help bring them there to take the life from them, take them away from her. On the next episode of Voices of a Killer. Callaway County Sheriff's investigators did not reveal a motive behind the double murders allegedly committed by Dale Horton and Jennifer Grayson. Well, I just felt untouchable. I didn't care. I didn't care. What would make someone want another person killed in your case? That bitch raped my daughter. The wheels of justice move slow. Things will work themselves out. Be patient. Okay, what was her reaction to seeing him holding a gun? Her son. Is she still alive today? Luckily, yes. Was she saying anything to you like, don't kill me? He did say that day, whoever's there is going to get it. That's a wrap on this episode of Voices of a Killer. I want to thank Ray for sharing his story with us today. His ability to be open and honest is what makes this podcast so special. A big shout out to Sonic Futures who handled the production, audio editing, music licensing, and promotion of this podcast. If you want to hear more episodes like this one, make sure to visit our website at VoicesOfAKiller.com. There you can find previous episodes, transcripts, and additional information about the podcast. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your feedback helps us improve and reach new listeners. Thank you for your support, and we can't wait to share more stories with you in the future. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Toby, and we'll see you next time on Voices of a Killer. on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks italian leather jackets and so much more and the best part about quince they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe ethical and responsible manufacturing elevate your style without the elevated price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, listeners, Toby here. We have a special announcement just for you. Voices of a Killer is launching its very own Patreon page, an exclusive platform that allows you to dive even deeper into the darkest corners of these gripping tales. By becoming a patron, you'll gain access to a wealth of exciting bonus content and behind-the-scenes exclusives that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Picture this, at our lowest tier, you can have access to further content with exclusive letters, photos, and correspondence that have never been seen by the public before. At our producer tier, you will have the opportunity to engage with the team, participate in Q&A polls, and receive updates on upcoming episodes and developments. This tier is perfect for those who have a keen interest in the production process and want to be a part of shaping the show's future. You'll also have your name read at the end of our latest episodes. How cool. At the next tier, you'll have all this and the opportunity to join in our once-in-a-month video chat Q&A session with me, the host, and our production team, allowing you to engage directly with the creators and further satisfy your curiosity. And for our premium tier, you'll have all this and the ability to listen to exclusive unedited raw interviews to really hear the true voices of our podcast. So if you're ready to unlock a world of extra content, head over to patreon.com slash voices of a killer now and choose the tier that best suits your craving for true crime. Your support will not only fuel our passion for storytelling, but also enable us to bring you even more thrilling narratives and the voices that are waiting to be heard on Voices of a Killer.